Good to see you back tonight. I said to Brother Mike before church, I said, it's a little bit different atmosphere than last week. And he said, duh. So Brother Mike doesn't get a lot, but he did get that. And so anyways, I am glad you're here tonight. Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going to be. Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going to be. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, I know that uh, we've got several who are traveling, several who are sick and out and uh, just not able to be here this evening. Lord, I do pray that you would bless in spite of that, that you'd give us a good service tonight. God, that you'd help uh, me to say what needs to be said, that you'd help it uh, to apply to help us to apply it to our lives. And God, that you'd, uh, again, help us to be the servants that you've called us to be. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, last week, you may remember, we spent our time in Matthew chapter 7, verse number 1, primarily with the first two words of that verse, where Christ said to the disciples to judge not, and essentially what he was saying is, is don't cast judgment on others, do not uh, make verdicts or declare sentences upon people, and what he was saying is, is don't do that where the authority of God is not in place. Uh, where the scripture does not speak to it, where the scripture does not refer to it, uh, we are not supposed to have a judgmental spirit to where we feel like we're able to declare ourselves what is right and what is wrong. He said, judge not that ye be not judged. He said, if you don't want to be judged, if you don't want to have that kind of spirit directed at you, then don't do it. He said in verse number two, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, or to the extent, or with the attitude and the spirit that you judge, it shall be measured to you again. And I know that I dealt with this last week, but I want to say this again tonight, because I believe we are living in such a politically correct, spineless society to where people just live by the motto, whether they realize it or not, I probably shouldn't say anything. That is not at all what the scripture is teaching. That is not at all what the scripture has ever taught. There are times that we're supposed to call sin, sin. There are times that we're supposed to say, this is not right. It doesn't matter what society we're living in. It doesn't matter what culture says. There are things that are just wrong. And there are things in society, we know this, that are easy targets. There are things that we can make judgments on and we feel as though it's safe to say and we don't care if anybody gets upset about these things. But I want to remind us, there are things in our own family. There are things amongst our own friends. There are things within this church that happen where you and I still need to have that same conviction and that same measure of boldness and say, this is wrong. Not based upon my authority, not based upon my opinion, but because the Word of God says this is wrong. And so we need to have some boldness about ourselves, and we need to have some conviction about ourselves. Last week, I thought it interesting, after I preached that entire message, somebody came to me afterwards and said, you know, you're exactly right, we're not supposed to judge. And I wanted to say, you didn't hear anything I said, did you? That is not at all what the Scripture says. The Scripture is not saying we don't ever judge. There are many examples in which we're supposed to judge. But the Scripture is saying where the Bible is silent, where the authority of God is silent, that's where we need to be silent. But past that, when we have the authority of God on our side, make some judgments. 
make some decrees, have, have, have some conviction about us and have some standard uh, about us of holiness and what the Word of God says, that is so desperately needed in our society today. That in mind, tonight we're going to move on, and in doing so, I want to share a thought that I know is similar to something I used a couple of months ago, but it works. And so this evening, I want us to think about this thought, I want us to think about this truth, and that is this, that there are many ways in which a person can describe us, and we will be neither offended or upset. Does that make sense? There are many ways in which we can be described by others and we will be neither offended nor upset. Here's what I mean by that. If I were to say to you men, you know, there are many people who think you're a handsome man. Not any of you men would say, I don't ever want to hear that again. That bothers me, that upsets me, that disturbs me, that offends me. Do not ever... Let it be said again from your mouth that there are people who think I am handsome. No, I'm to the stage now I will take every compliment I can get. If there are people with poor vision who kind of think I'm kind of handsome, I'll say, I think you're a smart person. It's just the way we work. There are certain ways in which we can be described that it will neither offend us nor upset us. If someone were to say of us, you know, you're a smart person. You know, you're a highly intelligent individual. Well, if somebody said that about me, I would say, well, thank you. Right? It's not offensive for someone to say that you're intelligent. If someone were to say something like this, you know, you are a person of discernment. You are a very discerning individual. You are someone who, who just has a good mind. We would say, well, thank you. That, that doesn't bother me. That doesn't offend me. That doesn't upset me. If someone said you're a hardworking individual, well, thank you very much. You see how there are many ways in which we can be described and, and we're not offended, we're not upset, we're not bothered. It's a non-issue for us. In fact, we could really bother our spouse by repeating it to them over and over and over. Did you know what so-and-so said about me? They said, I'm smart. They said, I'm handsome. They said, I'm discerning and I'm a good hard worker. That being said, there are certain things that we would never, ever want said about us. Correct? I mean, let's be honest. If somebody walked up to us and said, man, you're ugly. I don't think our first response would be, you know, I get that all the time. Thank you. Even if we did get it all the time, no matter how used to it we are uh, of hearing it, we would still be bothered if somebody came to us and said, man, you're ugly. If somebody walked up to us and said something like this, man, you're stupid. I don't think our initial response would be, I know. We would immediately go on the defense. We would immediately ha have a, a wall between us and that person. It, it would bother us immensely, would it not? Oh, yeah, Especially if we knew they were right. If somebody came to us and said, you know what, you're a fool. You have no discernment. You have no wisdom. You have no discretion. I mean, you, you are a fool. Well, that would bother us. I don't know about you, but of all the things that may or may not be said about me, I sure don't want, to, want it to be said of me that I'm lazy. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I know I have lazy days and I know I have lazy moments, but, but man, don't call me lazy. 
So you understand this? Certain things we can be called, certain things we can be uh, labeled, and, and it's not going to bother us. It's not going to offend us. It will not upset us. But certain things, we just we cringe at the idea of that being how people know us or identify us or think of us. That being said, notice in verse number 3 what Christ says to his disciples. In verse number 3, he begins by saying, and. So we know that in verse number 3, it's a continuation of thought in verses 1 and 2. He's still dealing with the spirit of the disciples in their manner of judgment. Okay, so the transition is going, or the thoughts are going to continue in verses 1 and 2 excuse me, down into verse 3 and 4 and 5. But as we look at verse number 3, the attention is going to shift a little bit from that of just a judgmental spirit and Christ saying, do not judge. But notice what he says in verse number 3. Again, fully aware that you're mindful of this and you know most of this. He says in verse number 3, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? So here is Christ speaking to his disciples, whom he knows could have a touch of Pharisee in them, as we talked about last week. And he says, And why beholdest thou the mote in your brother's eye? What is a mote a reference to in verse number 3? Well, it's a reference to a splinter or a, a, a stick, something of that nature. Now, many of us are familiar with the analogy. Many of us are familiar with what, the, with what the Lord is trying to communicate here. But what he is saying is this, that there are people out there, and allegorically speaking, they have a moat or they have a stick or they have a splinter in their eyes. Now, as we know in just a moment, what he says is in the eye of the neighbor, it is small by way of comparison. Now, notice, please, Christ is not denying that there is a moat in the brother's eye or in the neighbor's eye. Okay? He is not suggesting that the moat does not exist. He is not suggesting that the moat is not there. And also understand this, please, that whenever Christ speaks of the moat that is in the brother's eye, he is not suggesting that it is not a problem. He is not suggesting that the moat in the brother's eye is a non-issue. Because here's what we know if we know anything of our eyes, even the smallest of things in our eyes can be an irritant and a bother and a source of pain and discomfort and can cause problems to us. We understand that, right? The smallest of things. And so whenever Christ speaks of a moat being in the eye of the brother, he is not denying its existence. He is not denying the significance of it. And he is not saying that it's not causing him problems. But what he is saying is this to the disciples, why are you beholding it? Why are you beholding it? What does it mean to behold something? It's this idea. It is to give attention to. To something, or it is to begin scrutinizing something. And so here is what Christ is asking his disciples. He is asking, Why are you giving so much attention to this problem area in your brother's life? Why are you scrutinizing and why are you so fixated on this problem in your brother's life? Now, before we go any further, I just want us to think about this. It is true, is it not, that there are people who have problem areas in their lives? 
Of course there are. I don't know what Christ would have used by way of specifics if, if it were recorded what he said or if it were recorded what he was thinking. But let's think about it tonight in terminology that we're familiar with and in areas that we could identify with. Let's just be honest tonight and say this, that there are many problem areas that seem to plague people's lives today. We could say it like this. Not everyone has a handle on how to raise children according to scriptural instruction. There are a lot of people who, when it comes to the subject of child-rearing, to the matter of child-rearing, they don't exactly handle child-rearing according to the scripture. Now, as we think about that, here's what we would all say and here's what we would all agree with, that such an approach to child-rearing is going to cause problems at some point in the future if not already taking place today. When you look at someone who is not raising their children according to the Scripture instruction, the Scriptural authority, then here is what we can know without a question, without a doubt, that there are going to be issues that come up in the future because of that. We know this to be true, that not every marriage is functioning in the way God designed the marriage to function. Would we agree with that? Not every marriage is is living according to the, the instruction given by the Word of God. And so we could look at many marriages today and we could say, based upon their lack of obedience to the scriptural authority in their life, they are either having problems right now or they will have problems in the future because you cannot, you, you, you cannot function this way without there being problems at some point. Well, you could talk about priorities. You could talk about finances. You could talk about a lot of different things there. I mean, there are many things that people don't handle correctly. And if it's not causing problems now, it will be causing them problems in the future. That's what happens when people don't live in obedience to God's Word. Okay, now, as that is so, here's what Christ is saying. Disciples, I know our tendency, or I know your tendency, to become fixated on that. And you begin to give attention to everyone else's problems. And you begin to scrutinize the actions of everyone that has the issues around you. So you look at this person and you say, well, man, they've really got issues with their children. And you look at this family and you say, they've really got issues with their children. And you look at this person and you say, well, man, their marriage isn't at all what it's supposed to be. And this marriage, it's not at all what it's supposed to be. And this marriage, it's not at all what it's supposed to be. And they're going to have some serious problems in the future if they don't have problems already. And you look at someone whose priorities are out of whack over here and over here and over here and over here. And, and whatever it is, it is easy for us to get fixated on the problems that other people are having. And we really begin to focus on these, we really begin to behold them, and in doing so, we scrutinize them. And so these people, in whatever problems they have, according to our perception, that is what gets the attention. So notice what Christ went on to say, and again, I know that we know this, but I want us to give attention to it. He says, and why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eyes? I, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye. We know what Christ is communicating here, right? 
How is it, disciples, that you have become so consumed with the problem area in this person's life, and yet you do not seem to consider or give attention to the beam, the large structure, the log that is in your own eye. See, here's this person, and yes, they've got some problems, and yes, they've got some issues, and and yes, there are going to be more problems and more issues in the future based upon this, but how is it that you have given all your effort and your energy and your attention and your thoughts to their problems, and yet you will not behold or consider or give attention to your own problems? It's easy to do, is it not? It would go something like this. This family has no control over their children. How much control do we have over our children? This child is rebellious. Well, what kind of rebellion do our children have? This child is disrespectful. Well, what kind of disrespect do we see in our children? I I know that this is probably a shock to some of us, but probably not to everyone. But it is amazing sometimes how parents cannot see the problems of their own children, but yet they know the problems of every other child that exists. And so they know that this child is a problem and this parent doesn't have control and these parents are going to have issues with their kids in the future and they seem to have no realization of the problems they have right now in their own home or the problems they'll soon have because they don't have control over their kids. It's amazing the number of times that a person will say something like this. That's not a very good marriage. And this thought has crossed through my mind. And what about yours? See, it's very easy for a person to give their attention and their energy to the problems that everyone else has, but they don't want to give any attention to their own problems. And so notice what he says in verse number 4. He says, Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. What is Christ asking? He's asking this question. How do you even begin to suggest to be a help to your brother by saying, Let me take that stick out of your eye when you at this moment have a log in your eye? How do you think you're going to be a help to someone like that? Here you are, you've got your own problems, you've got your own issues, you've got your own difficulties, you've got your own personal struggles in your life, and and, and as that is the case, because you are so fixated on their problems and you're not giving any attention to your problems, you want to come to this person and say, let me help you. Let me fix this for you. Let me take care of this for you. Christ says, now how do you expect to do this when you've got the bigger problem in your own personal life? I want to say more about this in just a moment, but again, I I think we know this to be true if we're honest. 
It is so much easier for us to try to address everyone else's problems than to try to address our own problems. It is easier for me to look at someone else and say, well, they need to change this, they need to change this, they need to change this, and they need to change this. Now, granted, those things may need to change in a person's life, but I am not at a place necessarily at all times to be able to say to this person, change this and change this, if in my own life there are problems in those same areas that for myself are greater than the problems they are struggling with in those areas. It has something to do with attitude. And it has something to do with spirit. See, if I can look to someone who is struggling in a particular area, whether it be children, marriage, finances, priorities, spiritual life, and their development, if I can look at someone who is struggling in that area, I am not judgmental just because I realize that there is a problem. I am not even in the wrong if I go to the individual and say, hey, I, I don't know if you see this, I don't know if you're aware of this, but, but there are problems here that you might want to be aware of and that you might want to be mindful of. There is nothing wrong in going to that person and trying to be a help. You're not being judgmental. You're not being condescending. You're not being critical. But here is what I would suggest to us, that if we do that, should we feel led to do it, then we need to go with the right attitude and the right spirit, one which would say something like this, I don't claim to have everything together. And I don't claim to have all the answers. I don't claim to have a perfect marriage. I don't claim to have perfect children. I don't claim to always do everything right. That is not at all what I am suggesting to you. And I want to make it very clear that I struggle with some of the exact same things, but I, I just want to visit with you because I care about you. See, that is the right spirit in which to handle this. But so many times, here's what a person does. They get on their high horse, they get on their, on their little soapbox, and, and they know everything that is wrong with everyone else, but they don't want to give any attention to their own set of problems. And they think they'll be a help to other people. Friends, you and I don't like to get help from people that we know who don't have it together. I, I, I personally don't like someone who I know who does not have it together in these areas coming to me acting like they do trying to tell me what I ought to be doing. You know what I, be, you know what I become very quickly? I become very dismissive very quickly. Thank you. Thank, yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Essentially, I'm lying to him because I don't appreciate it. Okay, all right, thank you. Thank you, that, that was very kind of you. I'm glad you know everything that's wrong with me. Would you like to talk about you for a few moments? I know that's not really what you're worried about, but since you've felt it necessary to bring a, an attack upon me and what I'm doing wrong, well, you have it all together, so why don't we talk to you about your perfect life? See, there's something to do with the attitude and the spirit in which we approach someone. Again, not a judgmental attitude, not this position that we think we know everything, but, but we have to understand we are not allowed or we're not capable of being a help to someone if there's an issue in our own life that we're not willing to address. 
So we can sit back and we can diagnose and we can sit back and we can make de declarations and determinations about the actions and the behaviors of certain people. But until we have certain affairs in order in our own personal life, we either need to not try to help the person or we need to at least be honest enough to that person and say this, I, listen, I don't come to you thinking I've got it all together, but I come to you because I have a concern and maybe this is something that we could work on together. We, we could be accountable to each other, and, and as I work on this, you could work on this, and together we could work on some things in our spiritual lives. I cannot be a help to someone in a particular area if I refuse to admit I have struggles in that exact same area. Now, this evening, I want us to think about this, and this is where I said I'd say more about it in just a moment. I want us to think about this truth because it can be a difficult pill to swallow sometimes, but the truth is this that in every denomination there are certain strengths and there are certain weaknesses. There are denominations out there, and you could look at them and say, well, this is a strength, or this is a plus, or this is a benefit to them. And we could say, you know, that, that's a positive about them. But with every denomination, not only are there positives, there are also negatives associated with that denomination. So while they may be strong here, they're negative here. While they're good here, it's not so good here. That would be the case for independent Baptist. Does this, does this make sense? I feel like when it comes to independent Baptist, as a general rule, we have many positive qualities. I think in general, for most independent Baptists, it could be said something of this nature, that we do have a desire to preach the Word of God, that we have a desire to stand for the truth of God's Word. I believe that for most independent Baptists, at least at this stage of history, that most independent Baptists are saying something like this. We don't care what the culture says. We don't care what, what the culture is trying to push down our throats. We are going to stand according to the truth of God's Word. I think that to be the case for most independent Baptists. But here is a weakness amongst our ranks. That we feel as though it is within our right to address everyone else's issues, but not address our own, because that has been fed to us for generations from the pulpits of independent Baptist churches. I don't know if you would understand what I'm about to say or, or whatever, but I've had it said to me things like this. Well, Brother Kyle, you shouldn't admit that you struggle with that. I shouldn't admit that I struggle. So what you're suggesting is, is whenever I stand before the people and preach, you're suggesting that I should give off the the idea or the air that I don't have struggles? You're suggesting that I should stand before people no matter where it's at or when it's at or, or what the setting is? You're suggesting that I should stand before people and act as though I've got everything together? I can't see where that's the right spirit. I can't see where that's the right attitude. I can't see where that's beneficial long term. Because not only is it not true, it, it paints the wrong picture in the eyes of people who are sitting there thinking, well, man, I do have struggles. I do have issues. And we have issues and we have struggles. 
it has been the the character or the nature of independent Baptists for years, at least from the pulpit, to not want to give off any impression that the man of God struggles or that his family struggles with anything. Guess what that lends itself to? It lends itself to other people in the churches not wanting to admit to their own personal struggles. I may know it exists, but I don't want to admit that it exists because if I then admit it exists, then, then I somehow look weak to someone or I look flawed to someone. And that's exactly what we are, is weak and flawed. And there's nothing wrong with people knowing we have weaknesses and flaws But it is so much easier if I'm pretending that I'm perfect to then feel like I have the right to sit back and evaluate and scrutinize everyone else's life. It's not biblical. And so while it opens me up sometimes to some criticism... While it opens me up sometimes to some uneasy feelings because I admit this is a struggle or this is an issue for me and this is something I'm working on, I can say this. There have been many occasions when people have said something like this. You know what? I appreciate you admitting that you're a real person and admitting that you don't have everything together. Now, all I'm trying to communicate is this. I cannot as a pastor and you cannot as a church member help anyone with their issue if you're not willing to admit and address your own issue. It is impossible to be a help to anyone in any manner if you are unwilling to admit your own personal struggles. Now, as clear as all that is, Christ made an assessment in verse number 5 of those who try to help others with their problems, but they will not behold or consider their own problems. Notice what he said in verse number 5. He said, Thou hypocrite. Thou hypocrite. For the person who wants to fixate themselves and focus on and scrutinize the problems of everyone else while refusing to admit their own problems and refusing to address their own issues, what does Christ call them? Hypocrite. Positive or negative term? Negative. It's absolutely a negative term. What does it mean to be a hypocrite? It means to be an actor. It means to be a fake. It means to be a phony. It means you are not real. Think about this. Christ said if you want to focus on everyone else's problems, if you want to focus on everyone else's issues and refuse to admit that you have your own struggles and you have your own problems and your own areas to work on, if that is what you want to do and try to fix everyone else's problems while refusing to address your own, you are a hypocrite. You are a fake. You are a phony. You are as empty as empty can be. Right. 
I wish it could never be said that I was a hypocrite. But I know better. Because here's what I know of myself. There have been many times, there have been many occasions where I have stepped back and from my soapbox and from my high horse I have been able to determine everyone else's problems. Well, they've got issues here, and 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 I'm just thankful we don't have any big issues. You hypocrite. You fake. You phony. You actor. There is nothing sincere or genuine about such a spirit. Now again, I wish it could never be said that I had been a hypocrite in times past, but I know that I've been hypocritical. I know there have been times that I've wanted to fix everyone else's problems but not address mine. I know I've been a hypocrite in the past, but I, I, I want to say tonight, and I hope you would say the same thing, I hope to God that in the days and weeks and months and years to come, that I don't fall into that same trap and find myself being the self-righteous, pious hypocrite who wants to tell everyone else what to do in their life while not taking the time to address it in my life. It's very easy to do, is it not? It's a label we ought to want to stay away from. It's a label that we want to be as distant from as absolutely possible. Call me many other things, but please do not call me a hypocrite. Because when you call me a hypocrite, especially if the description fits, then what you have just said of me, and again, if it fits, rightfully so, you have just said I am a fake and I am a phony and there is nothing to the substance or the depth of my relationship at this point with the Lord. So what do we do? Well, notice in verse number 5, he gave instructions so as to avoid the hypocrite title and the hypocrite label. First, cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. If you don't want to be a hypocrite, if you don't want to be a fake and a phony, if you don't want to be empty and ridiculous, if you don't want to fit that kind of a description, then here is what you must do. You must take care of your own issues before you try to take care of other people's issues. See, until you take care of your own issues, you can't see clearly to take care of their issues. Until you're willing to address your problems, you're not able to really help the problems of someone else. Again, unless you have the right spirit and attitude that you need. But again, so many times, here's what happens in our religious life. We don't want to take care of our problems. We just want to help everyone else's problems. And, and people don't look too highly upon that. So if I want to be a help to someone else, I've got to be willing to ask myself, have I taken care of those issues in my own life first? Hey, if I'm going to talk to this person about their marriage, I probably ought to make sure I'm doing everything in my marriage as I ought to be doing. 
If I'm going to talk to this person about priorities, and I probably ought to make sure that my priorities are in place. If I'm going to talk to this person about finances, I probably ought to make sure that my finances are in place. If I'm going to talk to this person about their spiritual life, I need to make sure that my spiritual life is where it's supposed to be. Whatever it is you may feel a burden for on behalf of someone else, before you confront them and before you approach them, you need to make sure, and I need to make sure, that we've taken care of that issue in our own personal life before we start trying to address it in their life. Somebody says, but I've got a lot to offer. I've got a lot that I could say. I could be a real help. No, you can't be a real help, and I can't be a real help unless we have first taken care of our own personal problems. I cannot and you cannot remove a stick out of someone else's eye when we have a log in our own eyes. And so this evening as a group of independent Baptists, this evening as a group of people who want to be faithful to the Word of God and stick with the Word of God and make those righteous judgments where the righteous judgments need to be made, for us to be that person, that's all well and that's all good, but we've got to remember this. Before we walk around being the eye inspector of everyone else, the problem inspector for everyone else, before we begin getting so consumed with the issues that other people are wrestling with, before we confront them, we need to say, God, what about me? And God, what about my own issues? And God, where am I at in this particular matter? Because if I'm not willing to pray that prayer, and if I'm not willing to address those issues, then you know what I am? I am a hypocrite. And if you're not willing to pray that prayer, and if you're not willing to let God reveal what you need to work on, if you're not willing to do that, but you want to scrutinize and focus on everyone else's problems, and you know what you are? You're a hypocrite. In order to avoid the label of a hypocrite, we have to be willing to address our own issues before we try to correct anyone else's. There has to be a humility and a meekness about ourselves. There has to be a right attitude and a right spirit. And so this evening, I simply ask you to give consideration to this thought. How many times are we guilty of focusing on everyone else, but we do not want to focus on ourselves? It's a serious issue. All right? Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight. I know that we've dealt with a familiar portion of Scripture. I know that we know what you were saying. We know that the, the truths that you were trying to communicate to the disciples. And yet if the disciples then were like us, we can be pretty hard-headed group of people sometimes and we can be slow to catch things and we can be slow to apply things and so I pray that tonight you would help us to be reminded of the attitude and the spirit that we're supposed to have I pray that you'd help us tonight Lord to address issues in our own life before we get too critical and self-righteous about the actions of someone else so I pray that you'd help us tonight and I pray these things in Jesus name Amen as Lauren plays if you need to pray please do Thank you.